Welcome to Wear Who You Are, a podcast that takes the fear out of fashion and holds space for everyone to explore how to connect your authenticity with your personal style. I'm your host, Natalie Tincher, founder of BU Style, expert style strategist, and your enthusiastic friend and safe space of support. I believe that every person has a style and every style deserves a seat. With over a decade of experience working with hundreds of personal clients, I've learned a thing or two about how to help others have a healthy and holistic approach to navigating how to build a wardrobe that reflects who you are. So pull up your seat and let's get started. There's no such thing as having no style. By getting dressed every day, you inherently are making style choices and therefore you do have a style. The first step in truly understanding your personal style is discovering how it connects to who you are. How do you communicate your personality and preferences through your clothing choices? The BU Style 6 assessment creates the foundation for you to start answering that question. By taking this assessment, you will be able to see your spread of the six style personalities and how they connect to wardrobe characteristics. Read more about the BU Style 6 methodology and take the assessment by visiting www.bu.style and clicking on the Personal Clients tab. That's www.bu.style. You can also click the link in the show notes. Thanks for coming back to another Wear Who You Are Wednesday. It's becoming one of my most favorite days of the week. Um, Thank you for joining me and thanks for coming back over and over. So today we have a Nat strategy session, and in the next couple of weeks, we have some really, really great guests. So I'm excited for the content coming, Um, but before I get into the meat and potatoes of my strategy session today, I want to talk about a buzz phrase of the moment that's popping up right and left after Gwyneth Paltrow's court case and the show Succession. That phrase is called quiet luxury. So quiet luxury, it really has been around for a long time, but as it is in this day and age, as we all know, it needs to be made into some sort of buzz phrase to put it on the, put it on the gram and on TikTok. Um, But from my style personality assessment world, quiet luxury is most associated with the polished or classic style personalities. So what it is, is just a simple understated elegance in fashion. So it's generally devoid of logos and it's a focus on quality construction, natural materials, and all the details that are just right. Like, you know, when the stitching on a blazer matches, you know, the stitching in the pan or the the button details are, you know, fine quality. So we may not be able to all afford Gwyneth's thousands of dollars sweaters, um, all of her luxury. I know I can't, um, but we can trickle down the accessible parts of quiet luxury. So what do I like about this trend for all of us? Well, what I like is that it's focused on a minimalistic and thoughtful approach to shopping and style. So the idea behind it is really about buying the best that you can within your budget and planning to wear it for a long time. So it's really thinking of your wardrobe as an investment and helping us to be more thoughtful in our choices versus just chasing a fad or other impulse buying. So no matter what your personal style preferences are, you know me, and I will always encourage you to buy better and buy less. And that's really what this quiet luxury idea is. All right. So moving on to the meat and potatoes of this, um, I may go on a few rants. Um, It is something that I feel very passionate about. 
as I've shopped with clients at hundreds of different stores and brands over the past 13 plus years, there is one thing that continues to baffle and really piss me off. And that is that sizing is not even close to being consistent across brands. And even now within the same brand, sizes can vary. I'm sure you've all had that experience. You go into a fitting room, you pull what your regular size is, and something just doesn't fit one way or another. It sucks. It's really annoying. And it's actually become a vehicle to perpetuate unhealthy obsessions with weight, body image, ideal size, all of that. Well, I say F that it's bullshit. Once I started studying fashion, I really quickly learned that in general, there are very few impactful regulations in the industry to protect us, the consumer. And sizing is just a huge, huge, huge example of that. So before we start on how to tackle this in the present, I want to go back in history to learn how we got where we are now. And first, I'll say that much of this applies broadly to women's wear and men's wear, but it is much more problematic and prevalent in women's wear. It should come as no surprise as women's bodies are constantly under a lot of scrutiny. And from an early age, we learn that we need to be thin or we need to be this shape or that shape or whatever it is, it's shoved down our throats from an early age. And so we basically spend most of our lives unlearning these unhealthy associations with self-worth as it pertains to body image. Sizing just perpetuates that. So before I go on too much of a rant, I'm going to try to stay focused for you on the topic of clothing size. So I'm going to dive back into U.S. history. We're going to start with U.S. history and the American Civil War. So this was the early 1860s at the time. During the Civil War, federal agents took measurements from thousands of recruits and discovered patterns for combined chest, waist, and leg measurements. So that's a lot of the measurements that we use in menswear today. So this ultimately formed the basis for a single set of sizes that was rolled into civilian menswear. So because of this, average size suits were then made available with variations in length and and then they had to do some fittings, but they at least could start narrow down sizing. So then in 1881, there was an American tailor named Charles Hecklinger, and he created the first systematic method of block adaptation. It was called for women. So this also involved the creation of a generic pattern for a range of body types. So it basically scaled and was, a, again, a, a block size. So variations in the breast and hip sizes were very difficult to reduce to just a single size number like we know now. And this is for skilled tailors. Like everyone was making their clothes at the time and they were trying to start adapting. The biggest challenge was the bust shape and the three-dimensional differences in the size and proportion between the waist and bust measurements among different women. It wasn't accounted for very easily by sizing systems. Again, we know that. They knew it back then. So it really back then was like a made to measure. So they would do the block adaptations and then they would still require like up to 11 different body measurements to be able to scale the clothing appropriately and to fit it well. So then we move forward. Let's move to 1939. The U.S. Department of Agriculture, which then had a Bureau of Home Economics, hired statisticians to analyze the body measurements of thousands of American women. So these statisticians collected weight measurements and 58 different size measurements for about 15,000 women. So they were looking for key measurements that could predict other body measurements. So a couple of things about this entire endeavor, they used only white women in the study. Even though they took measurements of women of color, they didn't include them in the research. 
also the body models were rewarded for participating in the study. So they were incentivized. So as a result, poorer women were more likely to turn up. And a lot of these poor women were malnourished. So the data set that we got from this did not represent a particularly diverse group of women. Again, a problem. Then during World War II, the U.S. government was interested in standardizing size to conserve fabric. At the same time, we have a booming catalog industry who also wanted size standardization because it was costing them millions of dollars in returns um, for missized, ill-fitting clothes that people had ordered. So then we keep moving forward. In 1958, the government issued the first standardized women's size guidelines for the apparel market. So it's the first time the government really issued these sizes. So this created the now famous, I guess, or the prevalent sizing system that we use now, but the numbers then range from a size 8 to a 42. Again, these are U.S. sizes. So these were, in fact, pretty arbitrary numbers. They were based on bus size combined with a letter that uh, denoted the height of the person and then either an increase, and if it was an increase, it was labeled full, or a decrease, and if it was a decrease in hip size, it was labeled slender to account for the hip measurements. So this sizing system, as you can imagine, was unpopular and wasn't really very useful. And it wasn't generally accepted. So it was modified. So they still took it and they're like, we're going to stick with this. It was modified in 1970 in accordance with changes in consumer tastes and body types. So in the 1970s and 80s, there was a glimmer of hope for a push on a universal sizing system. But then a couple years later, the system was eliminated. By the 1980s, brands had largely just abandoned standards and developed their own sizing system. And in 1983, the U.S. Department of Commerce completely withdrew this first somewhat standardized sizing system of the 50s. This was the time when garment companies began downgrading size labels and adding lower numbers like two, zero, and then now we even have double zeros. So for example, a waist measurement that would have previously been categorized as a size 12 became a size 8. So this is what we now know as vanity sizing, where the size on the labels reduce the number to encourage customers to buy the garment. So this is really taking advantage of consumer body image aspirations. So we enter this world we're in. Sizing has become a marketing tool instead of simply just being a vehicle for a size, a place to let us know what's going to fit our body. And let's be honest, it was never very good at it in the first place, but now we have no government regulation. We have no sizing systems that are dictating anything. So in 1995, the American Standard for Testing and Materials, known as the ASTM, they published a non-mandatory sizing standard. So this is really where the beginning of rapid size deflation happened. The ASTM standard lists a size two in 1995, but in 2011, they came out with another list of standards and they list a size double zero. So the most recent U.S. sizing standard that was in 2011 is known as the ASTM D5585-11. So I expect everyone to remember that. That was the most recent sizing standard and it provides a guideline on how to measure and label clothing sizes. However, it doesn't put the measurements to a set size. It just tells you how to measure and how clothing needs to be labeled. So a lot of clothing brands then have their own sizing systems, which may not always align with standard sizes that we know. 
And as I mentioned, many brands also use vanity sizing and their sizing may be larger than another standardized size guideline. So then they do that to make customers feel better about their bodies. Other brands may use different grading rules. Now, a grading rule is the way that they scale their garments up or down. Or brands have different target markets, which, of course, can affect the way they size their clothing. So again, here we are today. We have no enforceable standards. We have no regulations, just a lot of ways to confuse and try to manipulate consumers. So what do we do about that? I think when we look at facts, we look at facts to just understand what's going on. And when we look at facts, then it helps us get rid of these inherent biases that we build in our heads. The fact is that the state of clothing is that sizing today doesn't matter. Fact one, different brands of clothing that are marked with the same size can vary by as much as three or four inches. And major apparel brands actually like having their own sizes. Part of the reason for this is that it forges brand loyalty. So think about it. If you find a pair of pants that fits you well, a lot of people hate pant shopping. You're going to continue to buy from that same brand. What are you going to say? You're like, okay, well, such and such size from this brand fits me. So I'm just going to click and buy it. Because the industry and lack of standards exploits the fact that if you do your research and you do a lot of work to find which size, which cuts and brands work for you is just that. It's a lot of work. It's a lot, can be a lot of physical work. It can be a lot of emotional work. Who really has time for that? Like I do because that's my job. That's what I do as a career. Or people that love fashion, they have time for that. But if you don't, you just go back to the same brand that worked. Even if you want more, even if you want it better, you're just going to go for what works because it's just too much work if you aren't in the industry and have time to do your due diligence. So fact two, brands also exploit consumer psychology and sizing. So uh, Cornell University professor, she's an assistant professor of apparel design, Tasha Lewis. Uh, she has really dove into the psychology of apparel design. She said that vanity sizing is very real. I worked at a company and to make a consumer who wore a size two feel like she wore a size zero, they shifted all the measurements down. Another fact in this realm, Marilyn Monroe was a size 12. We all hear that, but she was a size 12 in the 1960s. Today, by today's general sizing standards, she would be a size six. I was going through some clothes at home from high school in Indiana, and I noticed that there was a pant size from a brand that I still occasionally shop today. It was, in fact, two sizes bigger than the size that I would purchase from them now. Now, facts on that. I was 20 pounds lighter. I was much less curvy than I am today. So again, what does that mean? I'm certainly not smaller than I was at 16 years old, and the size that I wore then was bigger. So what's the most important fact in this? The most important fact is that my worth is not any greater or lesser than it was because I fit into a smaller size now than I did at 16 years old. This is just another clear example of how sizing is bullshit. Fact three, there's another factor explaining why the sizing system that they tried to make would no longer work regardless. People's bodies are just different. We're more diverse than ever. We're more multifaceted. So the Textile and Clothing Technology Corporation recently conducted a, the first widespread study of American women's bodies called Size USA. So this was much better than the one from, you know, a century ago. They scanned the bodies of almost 11,000 people between the ages of 18 and 80 in 13 locations across the country. 
So the study identified nine distinct body shapes for women. Now get this, the hourglass ideal that we've heard about our whole lives that's long set the standard for women's clothing size, in fact, only rings true for 8% of American women. Now they did analogous surveys in the UK, South Korea, and Mexico, a lot of similar results but different body types because it changes. It's geographical. It's situational. I mean, bodies are just your bodies. The study was also conducted in various countries because clothing sizing between countries does vary greatly. Italian sizes, Japanese sizing, Brazil sizing, U.S. sizes, all of the sizes are sized differently and proportionally cut differently based on the populations. A number or lettered size isn't taking into the account the whole of you, your unique 360 degree top to bottom shape, your proportions, your height, all of it. I'm also going to throw in there the old antiquated way of identifying your shape as a fruit. If you've heard of this, the apple, the pear, et cetera, that's also BS. In that, there are only five shapes. We just learned that there are, how many did I say? Nine plus different distinct shapes just within the US. So you're not a fruit you're a person. So inherently our bodies are not made to be categorized so narrowly. So do you see this again? Sizing and shape categories are not indicative of anything but a number of BS measurements that vary from brand to brand, country to country, year to year, decade to decade, country to country, all of it. And even within the same brand at times, things change. The style changes, the designer changes, time changes, and so sizing and cuts change. There are literally no enforceable standardizations of sizing as they relate to clothing or women's wear in particular or men's wear. It happens with men's wear. I've taken male clients to a tailor and they get their waist measured and you know the number comes out and they're like, well, that's not the waist I buy in a pant. Well, that's what the industry is doing. So it's really just what we use sizing for. We use sizing as a number to help us pull in the right ballpark of fit. So if you know you're around a certain size, that's why you grab it. And I always suggest grabbing a size above, a side, size below, because you're likely going to span a lot of different numbers depending on the garment, the fit, the brand. For example, my closet right now has four different sizes of denim in it, and they all fit. However, I do have clients that simply will not try on something that could be beautiful on them because it would cause them to, quote unquote, wear a size that they're not comfortable with. What do I say to that? First, I say, I totally get it. It's really hard not to fall into this trap. But remind yourself that, again, there are no regulations on sizing. One way I example I've used and I like to think of it is like, think about shoes. If you found a pair of shoes you loved. Would you avoid buying that pair of shoes if you had to go up a size? Like, what's the difference? It's literally just a number that helps you get in the right ballpark of the correct size. What about a ring? If the sizing standards and rings change, would it keep you from buying a beautiful design you loved just because it had changed? You wouldn't. So why is it any different on our bodies? Things change. It's literally just a number. You know, a couple tips that if you are struggling with this and as we undo this negative mindset, if you have to cover up or cut out the sizes as you start, you know, exploring, then do it. I say whatever it takes. Or another thing you could do is have a sales associate pull clothes for you and just don't look at the label when you try things on. Really just focus on buying what fits you best, what makes you feel the best. 
And while you're exploring all this, don't forget that who you are is good enough. Your shape is good enough. Sizing is complete bullshit and you should wear who you are proudly. Thanks again for tuning in and I will see you next Wednesday. Thanks for joining another Wear Who You Are Wednesday. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Be sure to follow along for episode news, updates, and other bonus style insights on Instagram through my business account at BU Style. That's the letters B, U, and Style. Or my personal account at Natalie underscore Tincher. And don't forget to subscribe to Wear Who You Are wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again and see you next time.